It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Good morning and welcome to Money Sense. You're listening to the advisors of Kirsten Wealth Management Group, Kevin Kirsten and Dennis Kirsten. Happy to be with you this morning we have a lot to cover here today and it will not be the royal wedding but it uh hopefully people are tuning in anyway if they are are uh tired of the uh uh analysis of the outfits and everything else so uh but probably more people awake this morning as a result of it too so uh but we're going to get right into it uh denny uh in terms of the uh the week on the overall markets uh, it's interesting. We've uh, definitely uh, leveled off a little bit and uh, started to move higher. And what I think is really encouraging about the last several months compared to a lot of uh, corrections that we've had, and you can kind of take people through the year to see what type of year we have, because when you look at the year-to-date number, you'd think one, one, uh, 1.6% uh, without dividends, uh, a little bit more when you include the S&P dividends uh, positive on the year, you'd think it's been a fairly benign year. And it really has not. Uh, January started off with a bang, uh, about five or six percent through the January 26, followed by a, uh, about an 11 percent sell-off in, in approximately two weeks. Market rallied back into early March, uh, not not to the new highs, but rallied back five or six percent, only to be followed by another almost 10 percent sell-off uh, right after that. And we've leveled off from there. And what we were saying at the time during the sell-off is we hope that it wouldn't last a week. We really said that we needed some consolidation. We needed to work off a little excess, get the market more fairly valued. And guess what? It's been almost three months now, a little over three months, and we've gotten just that. And I think it's really encouraging, uh, even when you just look at the chart of the market, um, it's been more of a normal year. The other thing is, to a person, when I meet with people here year to date, people say, boy, can you believe this unusual volatility? Yeah, it, it, it's more normal. Last year was not normal. Last year was unusual. This year right. is actually almost right on normal. We've had one 10% correction, one 7% correction, and the market's up 2% year to date. And boy, it's more, much more normal than it certainly was last year. So uh, very encouraging. I, you know, Take a look at some of the numbers. We were down a little bit on the S&P on the week. Uh, but still up on the year. Uh, I like to look at the technicals a little bit, the moving averages. We're above those moving averages, and historically, what are those moving averages? Well, you you look at the average of the market over the last, say, 50 or 200 days and say, is that an upward-sloping moving average, and are we above it? And we are above the 50-day moving average, so that's the average of the last 50 days. We're above that. We're above the 200-day moving average. That's the average of the last 200 days. And we've held there, and those lines are both uh, upward sloping now, which is, you know, from a technical standpoint, pretty positive. So the S&P is about 1.3% above its 50-day and 3% above its 200-day. Historically, when that's the case, you are, you are in a period of time where you, you're, you're going to see stocks higher over the next 6 to 12 months. So Let me, uh, let me jump in there on... on um... Uh, things uh, for the year so far. Um, something people don't talk about too much 
is uh, small caps. The uh, Russell 2000 uh, for the week, every, everything else was down for the week. The Dow S&P was down a half, NASDAQ down seven tenths. Russell 2000, um, it's the, um, uh, what do we want to say, the smaller 2000 of the top 3000 stocks. That's you right. eliminate the uh, top uh, thousand which includes the 500, S&P 500. That's right. And, um, I mean, roughly it'd be S&P 500. The next 500 would be the mid-caps. Yep. And then the next 2,000 would all be small. So the others were down half percent for the week. That was up 1.2. And for the year, it's up almost 6%. And all along with the uh, tax cut, uh, small caps tend to be more domestic, and they tend to benefit more from the reduction in corporate taxes. So you're seeing that play out a little bit. And that's something that we've uh, had in the portfolios, and we've actually bumped that up in portfolios uh, in the in the past uh, uh, six months or so. And we'd always lean more towards the value side of the equation. Uh, historically, less volatility. In fact, small cap value, interestingly enough, has the least volatility of virtually any U.S. asset class uh, out there. So uh, when you look at small cap value in particular, you steer away from some of the high-flying tech names. But listen, I mean, when you think logically, and and it's been a good run for large companies in the United States, especially the growth companies. But, you know, if you're looking for ways to make a good return on your money, think logically about this. Apple is almost a trillion-dollar company, and that's the largest of the large, okay? Uh, getting pretty close to a trillion dollars. I always like to think in terms on investments of doubling. You know, you'd like to double your money. What, in 10 years, you double your money, average 7.2%. That's a pretty decent rate of Rule return. Rule of 72. Yeah, and, you, you know. Divide it, the rate of return into 72, so roughly it tells you how, how many years it will take to double your money. And double your money, uh, if you double your money in five years, it's 14% a year. So somewhere in between, you know, maybe 10% a year. But think about this with Apple. Apple has to add a trillion dollars of value to its company in the next five to 10 years to double your money if you own that as an investment. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's a tough hurdle. Well, that's <laughs> uh, right. Adding yeah. a trillion dollars. Now, let's take a typical small cap company. Maybe it's a 700. You know, you say small caps, by the way, Denny. I think a lot of t- people in their mind are thinking some mom and pop shop down the street. A billion dollar company is a small cap company. Mm-hmm. A $500 million company is a small cap company. Mm -hmm. And these are publicly traded. These are not your small companies that maybe you're thinking of off the top of your head. But I'll take my chances that a $500 million company with good fundamentals can double to a billion-dollar company rather than a trillion-dollar company becoming a two-trillion-dollar company. That's a tough hurdle. So uh, that's why, historically, you do get better returns uh, over the long run, not over the short run, uh, a lot of times with small caps. And... You know, it's interesting, somebody commented that I reviewed with yesterday, somebody commented to me, how is it that I see some of these days where the market's down and my portfolio goes up? I said, diversification. Yep. It's working finally. Right. And you're, and he was right. We've gone through a lot of years where diversification yep. really didn't I've noticed that up. several days this week on, on our portfolios. Yep. Market so, was down slightly and... By and large, most clients were up. And if we were in a bear market for anything the last probably three to five years, uh, if we're in a bear market for anything, we've been in a bear market for diversification. Uh, If you would have owned not only the S&P 500, but the top 50 companies in the S&P 500 from about 2014 to 2016, that's all you needed to own. And now today, you're seeing the benefits of small caps, 
How about international? The one-year return on uh, uh, the one-year return on international emerging markets. Uh, you know, doing very very well, up sixteen point four percent on the emerging markets index. 18.8% on small cap international. So you're seeing the benefits of diversification among international companies as well. So, uh, you know, I think that that's something that people maybe have shied away from the last couple of years that you might want to come back to. Well, we're we pretty much have wrapped up earnings season for the first quarter, and it was a very, very strong earnings season. Uh, we have mentioned that uh, in the weeks leading up to this, but it, uh, at the moment, uh, 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 S&P 500 uh, earnings are up 26% year over year. That's the best uh, quarter since the fourth quarter of 2010. By the way, people can follow along on our website, KirstenWealth.com. Weekly market commentary has a lot of these stats that we're referring to. Now, when you, um, what about the tax cuts? Well, that probably accounted for something in the neighborhood of 6 to 7%. So even without the benefits of the uh, tax cuts, where corporate taxes were reduced from 35 to 21, you were still in the neighborhood of 20%. I thought the tax cuts were worthless, Denny. What well, are you talking about? Yes, that's right. They're uh, crumbs. They're cr- oh. yeah. Well, we forgot about the, the crumbs on the individuals, but so let's, let's think about this. Companies make 7% more money, which in turn, they make more money. Shareholders make more money. Employees make more money. Sounds like a good, pretty good deal to me. Wages go up. Mm, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Bonuses. Hourly rates go up, and that's uh, that's that doesn't even, for a lot of people that doesn't even include the the tax benefit they're getting on the individual side. So more on the uh, on the tax or the earnings season. Uh, S and P five hundred earnings have now increased at double digits for the last five quarters, and uh, we have now have had um, thirty six consecutive quarters. I believe that's nine years, and where um, earnings have exceeded expectations. Uh, The percent of companies meeting estimates is a little over 78%. That's the highest uh, since the tracking of this uh, has been done in the last 10 years. Upside surprises, 7.5%, largest since 2010. Revenue was up 8% year over year, uh, fastest since 2011. Estimates for the next four quarters rose during the earnings season. That's important because when the earnings come out, um, you know, you're looking in the rearview mirror, it's telling you what happened in the last three months. Uh, Martin is more interested in what will happen going forward. And the, um, you know, it's been a pretty optimistic uh, uh, outlook. So um, what's causing this? Uh, you know, what are some of the factors that are, is, is helping that out? Well, growth is better. Um, when you look in this last quarter, year over year, uh, first quarter of one year, first quarter of the other, uh, economic growth was up 2.9%. Uh, manufacturing, uh, anything above uh, 50 is considered growth. We've been hovering around 60. Manufacturing has been doing very well. Um, we, her U.S. dollar, the dollar went down a little bit in the last quarter. So as a result of that, uh, you saw companies that had um, 50% or more of their earnings from overseas was helped out by a weaker dollar because uh, they were up about 7% more on average. Stock buybacks are on the rise. Um, and if you're looking for negative things, you know, there's a lot of discussion about uh, the trade policy, although we're not seeing much of an effect from that yet. We're talking about NAFTA. 
Uh, we're talking about tariffs. Uh, it's on people's minds. Clients bring it up. Uh, but to me, I, th- I just think it's called uh, negotiating. Well, and I, I'm I'm not concerned about it at all. I mean, the estimates, you're talking about almost a trillion dollars of stimulus from uh, the corporate tax cut and individual tax cut and about $80 billion in tariffs. So uh, the the stimulus from the, the tax plan dwarfs anything that, that you would have to worry about with tariffs. And quite... Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Frankly, I think a lot of companies are going to eat the difference. I mean, people talking about, uh, uh, there's a story uh, this week about how Walmart is targeting Amazon.com. Listen, if Walmart is in a price war with Amazon.com, that's going to benefit the consumer. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what tariff is out there. Walmart wants your business. Amazon wants your business. And they're going to fight. And guess who's going to be the winner? <laughs> the, per- the person doing the buying. It's called competition. That's right. It's a good thing. And it's a good thing. And so uh, that is much more powerful than any tariff that's going on out there uh, in terms of the competition online uh, for for your dollar. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm, I'm encouraged by that. You know, the... Um when the we had the high point in the market this year, January twenty sixth, before we had that ten percent correction, and what was the the, the um, catalyst for that? Uh, and I, this is what I've been sharing with clients. Uh, it, the new normally it happens with bad news, bad economic news. This time it was good news. What wages were going up, uh, and that's bad. So. Well, wages haven't been going up for 10 years, and that was bad. So now wages are going up, and that was bad. But the the, the, the um, takeaway from that is it'll put pressure on, uh, uh, cost, cost, you know, wages are about 80% of the cost of a company doing business, so they can have to raise prices, or will that squeeze profit margins? That's the It's also one of the number one components to inflation, which people miss. Right. People get scared of uh, the term inflation, thinking... Uh, it's like the 1970s. Well, uh, inflation can be a good thing when it comes to your home and when it comes to your uh, your your salary. <laughs> well, here's another thing that's on investors' minds, and I think this is part of the reason. And by the way, earnings going up 26%, and the market really not moving very much. So the takeaway from that is market is gradually been getting cheaper here uh, as we report these earnings. Now, one of the things um, this people are mentioning here is Caterpillar came out with, with their earnings report and they said this quarter may be the high water mark uh, uh, for the year uh, or maybe for a while on their earnings. So uh, now that's part of the conversation. Uh, the question is, if this is the high water mark for most companies, now what? Will the recession be around the corner or not? And we have some uh, information on that. We will share that after the first pause here. Uh, so you are listening to Money Sense. When we come back, we'll talk about, is this peak earnings season? What happens after this? And you're, uh, this Dennis Hurston and Kevin Hurston will be right back. And we're back. Dennis and Kevin Hurston with you this morning. Uh, Kevin, um, earnings season is wrapped up. Uh, some uh, companies, Caterpillar has mentioned 
and this may be the peak for a while. What about that? What happens? First of all, we don't know if it is. <laughs> you don't know it until later, you know, might not know that for a year or two. But if we're at the peak of earnings right now, what has happened in the past after corporate earnings have reached their highest level for the, that the, this particular uh, part of the cycle? What happens? Well, if you check out our chart on our website, KirstenWealth.com, in the weekly market commentary, uh, right above it, it says, as good as it gets, question mark. We're looking at the last 12 times we were at a peak in earnings. Uh, when you have such a good quarter. It goes back to 1953. That's right. So you have 12 instances where you were at a peak in earnings. Um, uh, you've had three negative periods 12 months later. And you've had uh, nine positive periods. Incidentally enough, that's basically in any 12-year period. That's right on the long-term average. Uh, but interesting, the rate of return is much better than the long-term average. You average, uh, in a, in the average four years after, you're averaging about 58% return on your money in the S&P 500, which is a little shy of 15% a year. So on average, just because you get to the, the high point of earnings, uh, earnings growth doesn't mean that the market's going to tank right around the corner. In fact, uh, it only went down in three of those 12 instances, and the average annual return was much better than the long-term average. And one of those periods was uh, early two, uh, 2000, which we had the dot-com bubble there. And by the way, um, the other thing here, Kevin, is a number of months to the, to the uh, recession was an average of about 49 months. So it was from peak earnings season, which we don't know yet, it was four years on average before we had a recession. I'll take that. Well, it's interesting when you look at this chart, too. Um, <laughs> several of the times where you had peak earnings, it was only followed by more peak earnings. Yeah, that's right. So uh, in, in 1962, for example, there was an earnings peak. And the uh, recession started in 69, but then you had another peak in 68. So it just kept going. Right. Uh, same thing with the 80s. Three different times, 81, then it just kept going, 84, kept going, 88, and uh, you didn't get to recession until 1990. Uh, so same thing with new highs in the market. A lot of times, new highs give you more new highs. And same thing is true with earnings. Good earnings sometimes doesn't necessarily mean that the, it's over. A lot of times, good earnings gives you more good earnings. So, you know, something to look at. Check it out on our website. A lot of good information. We're kind of setting up our mid-year outlook uh, that we'll have out uh, sometime in June. Um, not really much has changed with our outlook based on the beginning of the year. You can also find that on our website, KirstenWealth.com. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be setting that up in the coming weeks to say what's going to happen for the second six months. What are companies doing with the earnings? You know, there's talk about stock buybacks uh, that reduces the number of shares. And they generally do that when they think things are undervalued. Uh, and that's uh, uh, I think that's optimistic. But something that we've been waiting on for quite a while uh, has been an increase in capital spending and which will in turn contribute to economic growth. So in the first quarter, uh, capital spending from businesses investing in plants and equipment and upgrading technology was up 24% from a year earlier. So um, that's very healthy. And a lot of times, if you know, look in the, at the negative side of it, you might say, well, companies that do that, uh, they will hurt their earnings a little bit. But the point is, 
in the short term, maybe, but in the long term, they, they benefit from that because uh, they postpone it. You think about uh, anyone's technology in their uh, particular business, even if it's a small business. Uh, you, know, you have to upgrade those things from time to time because things slow down. You're not, uh, uh, you know, speed and, and, and uh, uh, upgrading your technology is, is very important. And if, if profits are squeezed and there's not much money to, to do it, I think businesses tend to postpone that. But now uh, a lot of businesses are flush with cash. Uh, uh, revenue is up. Earnings are up tax cuts in there, so you're seeing a lot more capital spending, which does help the overall economy. Well, it's been a long time since we've seen some prolonged business in, in investment. Yeah. I mean, cash on the sidelines among businesses has, has been growing for for a lot of years here, yep. and the money's yep. not getting spent. Now, uh, I I heard an interesting quote about our the U.S. economy, which I think is very, very true, uh, a couple of years back, and it really hasn't changed. And that is the best thing about our economy right now is also the worst thing about our economy. And that is businesses are flush with cash, not spending it, and and their debt is a reasonable level as a percentage oh, of, yeah. of their assets and also as a percentage of their right. uh, of their uh, income. And the same thing is actually true for individuals. Government debt's a whole other story, but individuals and businesses have very healthy balance sheets. Well, why is that bad for the economy? Well, if you're paying off debt and building up cash, you're not buying anything. Mm-hmm. And and so that's the best thing about the economy. That helps the stock market not even if we have a recession, uh it it helps us it helps us to maybe predict in the next 3 to 5 years if a technical recession does happen, it will more than likely be mild. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of our clients said to me uh yesterday and I said that's completely true. He said you know, a lot of recessions aren't that bad. And I said, that's a great point because everyone has 2008 fresh in their mind. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of recessions that are mild. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of recessions where the economy slows down and the market doesn't get cut in half. Mm-hmm. Ni- early 1990s are a perfect example right. of that. There was a recession in the early 1990s. The stock market dropped 20% and you recovered all your uh, losses in the market about four months later. Yep. So I think most people could certainly uh, live with a situation like that. But cash as a percentage of uh, total assets, Denny, right now on the average S&P 500 company is at 32%. That's that's very high. What's what's normal? What's average? Well, that's the highest uh, in about 30-plus years. And uh, when you're looking at where it was in the year 2000, uh, 14%. Mm-hmm. 14%, the average company had 14% cash. It ramped up tremendously after 2008. It went from 20% to over 30% in less than two years mm-hmm. in terms of cash on yeah. the sidelines. And it's leveled off since 2011, uh, but it's still over 30% uh, uh, as a percentage of uh, S&P 500's corporate cash as a percentage of assets. So well, that's, that's what the business investment's right. going to come that's from. Good news or bad news? I, I uh, it, it, Another example, throwing it over to sports. Uh, the good news is, for a bad putter, the good news is you're on the green. Bad news is you're on the green. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now you have to putt. Yeah, that's right. Uh, all right. Um, Kevin, I saw an article recently here, uh, and we've mentioned this in the past, uh, but um, talking about the investor gap, and that is the difference in performance of certain uh, managers 
and what you look at uh, this man or her, that man or her, look at the one year, three year, five year uh, numbers. And uh, that's a set of numbers. And, but that's assuming that uh, that investor stayed fully invested in that particular program for the duration. And guess what? People don't. Okay. They don't even do it in the S&P 500. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, uh, the tendency is, and that's where a financial advisor comes in there. I think there was a study done by the uh, uh, one of the fund groups here recently um, over a 20-year period of time, somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 4 to 5% uh, over um, the uh, a manager performance uh, over a um, average uh, investor. Average, average investor. And it'll vary from one time period to another. Yeah, the average investor uh, from 1998 to 2017. Uh, this was a uh, this is a study done by Dalbar. Uh, two and two point six percent per year is what the average investor does in the in the market. Now, wait a minute. I'm looking at the S. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. S&P 500 here from 1998 to 2017, 7.2% per year. Well, there you go. There's that 5%. Uh, so so how, how is that possible? Mm-hmm. Well, of course, based on underperforming or outperforming uh, places people can invest, they jump all over the place. You know, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal, Kevin, that caught my eye here. It was Monday, May 7th, uh, written by uh, a finance professor in George Mason University. Now, you haven't heard, you're hearing this for the first time, but I want to talk about this investor gap. Now, I want to share something with you in, the, in, in this article. Well, I read this, and I couldn't believe I was reading it, Okay. Uh, and he's describing what we're talking about. Uh, investors buy high and they sell low and, uh, and and then do it all over again. But so why, here's what he says. So while the average stated return for mutual funds over a two-year period, and he's talk, well, let me back up. He's talking about 2008 and 2009. Okay. And, and the numbers he was mentioning was that the uh, S&P dropped uh, 35% in 2008 and then went up 26% in 2009. All right, so minus 35 plus 26. Here's what he says. So while the average stated return for mutual funds 
over this uh, two-year period was somewhere near minus 4.5%, minus 35 plus 26 divided by 2, okay? Many investors had an average annual return much closer to minus 17, minus uh, 35 plus 0, okay? Right. And uh, that, that might be more accurate, but the first one is completely wrong, <laughs> okay? Because if an investor goes down 35%, you have $100,000, okay? And then you owe, um, you owe up 26%, your 100000 is worth 65000 Now, you take that 65000 and multiply it times 1.26, you're not coming up with his numbers, okay? You have to do more. You, you can't go down 10 and then up 10 and be back to even, all right? You have the yeah, number. Yeah, your average, I mean, you're... You're only at about $81,000 at that point, so your average annual return is more like minus... Ten, nine and a half or yeah, ten. minus eight, yeah, minus... I mean, so you're compounding Down 35 it, plus 26, so that's minus nine divided by two. You're only down four and a half percent. So he doesn't I'm underst- sorry, Professor. It's not right. Yeah. He doesn't <laughs> so understand compound interest. Professor of Finance at George Mason University, an article in the Wall Street Journal. I, the, I mean, yeah. the premise is right. I mean, investors do make yeah. huge mistakes, um, and, and it really goes back to working with a financial advisor because I think so many people are wrapped up uh, when they work with their financial in- advisor in terms of what can he do for me? And, yeah. and, and I would say 90 plus percent of what uh, an advisor or we would do for a client is what we get you to not do. And, and, and that's very hard to quantify because you can't say, hey, you saved me 3% a year because you saved me from doing X. And I could list off the litany of things that I've talked people out of. Bitcoin, uh, uh, condos in Florida in 2006 with an IRA withdrawal plus a penalty. Uh, uh, the Iraqi you know, dinar. Uh, yeah, the Iraqi <laughs> dinar. I mean, you name it. Many of the things that we do or, to provide value to clients are the things that they don't do. Right. And uh, I want to buy the stock because and it was in bankruptcy because... You know, it, it, when it comes out, it might at a low price, or oh. there was a penny stock. Owens Corning. That, yeah. Owens Corning yeah. was a perfect example of that here in Toledo. Penny stock, somebody wanted to buy it at eight cents. Yep, and absolutely. Remember so, that story? Yeah. So, you know, when you're adding uh, value to your client's portfolios, uh, you know, many times that gets missed in terms of, and that's the perfect example when you're talking about what the average investor does. If we can close that gap, uh, we've certainly done our job. Uh, you're listening to Money Sense. Kevin and Dennis Kirsten are going to take our next pause. We'll be right back. And we're back, Dennis and Kevin Hurston with you. Uh, Kevin, um, you know, in working with our, our clients over the years, and obviously uh, been doing this for quite a few years, I don't even know the introduction anymore, so how many years of combined experience, but it's over 80 years, uh, somewhere in that neighborhood, I have to add it up. And um, so, you know, in, in, in helping people prepare for retirement and working through retirement, um, you know, we, we see a lot of mistakes people make and things like that, things that people wish they would have done differently. There are some articles here I want to share with you that just brings up uh, discussion points that we've had with our clients. One of them We've here, also been able to see so many people go through retirement to know uh, the groups of people that have been happy and successful exactly. in retirement and the, and the groups of and, people exactly. that have struggled. Yep, yep. So here's one that says uh, this... What's this from? I believe Kiplinger. Uh, retirement surprises what many what retirees wish they had known, and generally, um, 
a lot of people, uh, one of the one of the things that people are surprised about is the high cost of health care, and they don't always factor that in. Uh, and and obviously, uh, more than ever, when employer sponsored plans are not there for people when they retire, but that's part of the retirement decision. You got to know about health care, especially if you're retiring before 65 when Medicare uh, starts in. And by and large, uh, the biggest a mistake that people have said in this survey is they retire too early. Right. And, uh, you know, the minute they're eligible for Social Security at age 62, I'm retiring. That's okay. right. And the question is... I mean, you're looking at, if you don't have a spouse that's giving you health insurance, uh, you're looking at health insurance in the range of, what, 15, 16, 1700 a month? Quite and possibly. So, for, and, and for a lot of people retiring at 62... Uh, that's going to eat your entire that, Social yeah, Security benefit yeah. up right there. Right, right. So, you know, that, that is um, uh, something that uh, you can't just make a statement, I'm retiring. Are you retiring comfortably? And are you going to regret this early retirement? Some people are forced into it uh, because they, they might lose their job or, uh, you know, being downsized or whatever. But you mentioned a minute ago um, a lot of our clients uh, – uh, there, there's another article here that says uh, 10 ways to gradually retire. A lot of our happiest clients are doing something in retirement, whether it's uh, uh, some kind of part-time work. So there's a list of things here, and, and we've seen this uh, applied to a lot of our clients, and that is, um, you know, flexible retirement. Some people work a lot of hours, and they, you know, work part-time for their current employer maybe through consulting or things like that. We have a lot of clients that do that, but they work on their own schedule and they can enjoy the time off, but you know, they have a way to supplement their income. Well, here, there's an interesting stat out there that the longer you work, the longer you live. Yeah. So, and the, and the healthier you live. Right. Uh, the, 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 and that is, you know, true. You keep your mind healthy. It's not right. just about your body, but it's also, uh, well, certainly. a reason to get up in the morning and, and moving. Yep, you know, absolutely. So that, that's right. Um, and again, uh, we've seen people that uh, maybe have had a hobby and, uh, you know, they, they collect things, they sell them on, on eBay and things like yeah, that. Yeah, we Mem- just had a couple, of, a couple yeah. of stories uh, just this week of clients who uh, have had a hobby and they're finding out that, Boy, the internet is a is a wonderful place for for people to to buy and sell things and 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 making supplemental income and 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 having uh, a hobby to do that is going to create some some income on top of it. That's right, and and maybe uh, you know second career. Maybe you you had a job you really didn't like, and kids are out of the house, and maybe the house is paid off, and maybe you want to pursue something else, whether it's. Uh, teaching, working at a nonprofit, uh, but just helping others, you know, uh, volunteering and helping others, um, you know. So th- there, there's a lot of ways to do that. And for a lot of people, it's just a very hard transition to go from, you know, working your whole life to not working at all. And, and you should try to find ways to, you know, keep yourself busy, whether it's you need to supplement your income uh, or uh, just to keep your mind and body active. Well, and it, it's much more successful on your retirement portfolio as well if you can at least get a good portion or maybe even all of your fixed costs covered with part-time work and you use that retirement account for more of the discretionary spending because you have the flexibility in tough markets to slow down your withdrawals or maybe in good markets 
increase your withdrawals and do a few more fun things. And and when you have to take out, and you've seen it when people get up over 5% or even 6% or 7%, and they need every penny of that just to cover right. their basic needs, uh, you're in, you're, yeah. you're, you can be in trouble. And, and listen, it can work. It can work if the market is great. Yeah. But we, we've seen periods of time. Well, you've also time. said the sequence of returns is so important. That's right. A lot. Some of these things, Denny, that you're talking about, uh, I know you have so much to do with our internet and social media, uh, wink, wink. But it's interesting. You brought up three things that we posted this week online. Yeah. So we're, we're right on the same page there. But does it make sense to never retire? Or, or to postpone it and do some of the things that you talked about. Sequence of returns risk. We posted that on Facebook this week. Uh, market reactions to elections. Is it what you really think? So uh, some of these things, you know, we have it out there week, week in, week out. Uh, and, and like you said, we're just trying to take some of the mistakes that we've seen and, and, and put, it in, uh, put it into words on the radio show and put it into print online. And uh, I think a lot of times... People think retirement is a date, you know, like like an age, an age or a date, and <laughs> yep. I have to do it. And it and it doesn't necessarily have to be that. Um, I think one of the biggest mistakes I see out there is people taking the Social Security, uh, their Social Security at age sixty-two. Right. Um, that kind of goes right to what you're saying with maybe why not look a little at a little part-time work or something like that and let your Social Security grow and. Uh, the numbers say that the wealthier someone is, actually, the more likely they are to postpone Social Security. What's interesting is uh, the people who haven't accumulated as much wealth are more likely to take it early. Right. And then the people that can at least afford to take it early. Another thing people don't do enough of, I don't think, in their planning for retirement is uh, they're assuming both the husband and wife, uh, they both live till 90 or 95 and uh, go at the same time. A lot of people don't plan for the reduction in income if one spouse or the other dies. Uh, so oftentimes, if there is a pension, there might be a husband dies uh, and uh, he had the pension, might be a 50% survivor benefit, so there's a reduction there. If they're both collecting Social Security, whether it's uh, both working or a spousal benefit, uh, the surviving spouse receives the higher of the two benefits, but not both. So there's two reductions in uh, income for the surviving spouse there potentially. But I mean, all the more reason to wait on Social Security because not all, when you're getting that higher benefit, you're locking it in for two lifetimes, not just mm -hmm. one. Exactly. And, and you know, it's very unfortunate. I, mean, I just talked to somebody this week who had met with a couple different uh, financial advisors and he had a rollover and he wanted to take Social Security early at 62. And, you know, for one, if you want to work part time, you can make very little money and without before you start losing your benefit altogether um and and so that's you know one aspect of and he had met with a couple of different people and every single person had said hey roll make sure you roll your money over and i said you know you're getting a nice increase on your social security from 62 to 66 uh you know you're you're cutting it kind of close here i'd rather see you lock in guaranteed income and maybe take some withdrawals from your rollover maybe even deplete your rollover if you have to rather than lose that guaranteed benefit for life on your social security he said well nobody recommended that to me i said well because everyone wants to get their hands on your rollover <laughs> yeah the earnings limit if you're you know not full retirement age is 17 slightly more than seventeen thousand this year 
So if you earn more than that, your benefits are reduced but for, by, by $1 for every two over the limit. You get a little over a 6% annualized increase on your Social Security from 62 to 66. Or uh, whatever the full retirement age. Whatever yeah. the full retirement yeah. age is. Yeah, it's different for everybody. And then you get about an 8% increase from, from there till 70. Right. Per year. Okay. Yeah. Tell me another investment in this low interest rate environment that is going to provide you that type of guaranteed increase to your income. There isn't one. Yeah. And of course, people say, well, I'm going to take it at 62 because I'm worried they're going to take it away from me. That's that's silliness. Okay. Yeah. Don't You cannot make investment and, and retirement decisions based on fear-mongering of, of right. the government. Okay. Right. right. Uh, or uh, I'm going to take it 62 because... Uh, you know, my father died at whatever age and I'm not going to live that long. Well, y- your retirement planning cannot be, I'm going to die early. Okay. That's <laughs> not, a, that's not a plan. Okay. Y- you need to plan for a long and healthy life because people are it living, may happen. <laughs> it, the people are living longer. You cannot assume the, the alternative. And, um, you know, I think that more than likely when you're looking at those break even points and a lot of them, uh, are, in your early to mid seventies where you're going to have more money uh, on social security and you're not planning on living longer than that. I think that is a bad strategy. And uh, if that means you have to take a little bit more money, in your investments to lock in that guaranteed income on social security, I think people should do it. Okay. Let's take our last pause here. Kevin, you're listening to money sense. Dennis and Kevin Hurston will be right back. And we're back. Dennis and Kevin Hurston with you. We have, uh, about eight or nine minutes left in the show. Uh, another article here, Kevin, uh, we've seen this happen from time to time. Uh, missing retirement accounts cost retirees millions. And there was a study here that was done that says that um, approximately 25 million workers uh, who left an, uh, an employer between 04 and 2013 left at least one retirement account behind and um, according to this study, uh, the Pension Action Center at the University of Massachusetts in Boston, that retirees are owed upward of $150 million in missing pension benefits because of a small 401k. Maybe they worked in a place for a while and they have maybe a defined benefit pension plan. Even if you didn't even contribute any of your own money. Yeah. So the company might have put some in for you that that, that uh, you have access to. And Ohio in particular has really gone after a lot of these accounts. Uh, if, if the person has not been talked to or contacted in a set amount of time, they'll send this money to unclaimed funds. Yeah. And then you have to find it on the Ohio unclaimed funds yeah. website. And we've done that on behalf of some of our clients. We had a situation once where uh, a person... Um, spouse died and um, they didn't think they were eligible for any survivor benefits as they called uh, the place and said, no, no, you're not. And I said, well, I don't think that's right. And we did, you know, rolled up our sleeves and did some homework. And this person is now collecting 20000 a year in, in a survivor pension benefit. So uh, you, you never know when you call customer service, it might be their first day on the job. Exactly. And, and this is your retirement decision. And they might've had a might be having a bad day or, or whatever it might be. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And uh, so you, you, you sort of have to know uh, what the right answer is. And, you and you know, we can tell when we're talking to people on the phone, do they know what they're talking about or not? Right. You know? Right. And well, and like I, you said, times, you're I've, talking about making major retirement decisions and yeah. you're calling a 1-800 number and you don't even know who you're talking yeah, to. That's on right. The other and I, how many times have you said, you know what? 
we uh, transfer me to someone else. Well, <laughs> a lot of times what I do, I, I talk to the people in our office too when they're questioning what they're saying. I said, uh, let's go with three. If you talk to three different people that give you the same answer, we'll go with it. But uh, I don't even ask for somebody new. I just hang up and call back. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's unbelievable. So the point is, and, and even a lot of people that might have two or three different 401ks floating around, uh, and they probably don't even remember how the money is invested. So it's a good idea, uh, in our opinion, to consolidate all that stuff. One, you know about it. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it could add up to who knows what, anywhere from 5000 to 50000 uh, in in these different accounts. Consolidate them all and have a plan for how you're investing the money. Work with your financial advisor uh, and, and, and figure it out. Make that part of your planning process. Yeah, it's interesting on that uh, on unclaimed funds. We get the letters all the time. Uh, especially on smaller accounts. So you know they're out there that uh, if people haven't been contacted or don't have a relationship with their advisors, stuff goes to unclaimed funds, uh, even on the Ohio one. If I don't always find one for a client, if, we, if we're doing the exercise, a lot of times I'll find a family member uh, who, who's got a, a 401k or a mutual fund account or an old paycheck they didn't cash, whatever it might be. Uh, a lot of times it's the grandkids, too. Uh, they'll say, oh, that's my, that's my granddaughter. She didn't cash her last paycheck when she uh, left college or whatever it might be. So it's yeah. interesting. There's a lot of money out there that uh, you can find. Uh, Ohio has, has their own website for this. Hey, uh, Wall Street Journal article got a couple minutes left, but I always like to maybe do a little bit political. It's it's the your head's going to explode when you hear this. Uh, uh, Seattle to business uh, drop dead. And this has been talked about in the news all this week. But, uh, of course, Amazon halted their uh, uh, they were building several uh, businesses, uh, several buildings in Seattle, and they halted it because the Seattle City Council uh, was originally going to do a five hundred dollar jobs tax. Um uh, basically $500 a head uh, for every employee. Uh, they they compromised on $250 a head, and Amazon uh, had originally suspended building two uh, expansion projects in Seattle. Uh, more than 100 large businesses, including Expedia, Alaska Air, Redbox, wrote a letter warning that the tax sends a message to every business. If you are investing in growth in Seattle, if you create too many jobs, you will be punished. And what are they using this money for, for the homeless or something? Which will cause a, uh, let me get to that here, which will cause far greater damage to Seattle's growth prospects than the direct impact of the business being taxed. 300 or so small businesses also warn continuing tax increases and regulations will only hurt the small business community, vastly change our city. Even trade unions begged the council. So they still did the tax. It was just half of what they uh, had originally planned. It was the city council's latest uh, war against business. In 2015, they allowed Uber drivers uh, who are independent contractors to collectively bargain. Uh, the city council last year imposed a 2.25% income tax on high earners. Uh, it, it's just unbelievable uh, what they will do in some of these liberal cities. And it should be a lesson And uh, for Toledo. should be a lesson for all these cities. Businesses are not your enemy. Okay? And businesses are are not the, the the one that you're going to get the tax money from in the first place. I've, I've often said here in Northwest Ohio, any business who wants to come to Toledo, it should be free. Zero tax. In fact, we should pay them to come here. Why? Because they're going to hire people. What is the biggest benefit to any city or locality? People. 
Yep. You need people. Yep. Okay. Growth. If you look at any city that's doing well and any city that's not doing well, it's the population. And Toledo has had the population moving out for I don't know how many years. Cleveland and all these other cities and the like. You need people. What brings people? Jobs. Who brings jobs? Businesses. You don't go after the business. You don't tax the business. It's unbelievable to me that you ever make a business pay one penny. They're going to come here. They're going to, you look at Amazon in Seattle. They're going to come here. They're going to build a headquarters. They're going to build a building. There's jobs to build the building. There's jobs for people to work in the building. Those people buy houses. Those houses, uh, they maybe build houses. There's jobs to build those houses. There's property tax. There's sales tax. Those people shop. Those people go out to dinner. Think about all the benefits you get from more people living in your city. And yet every single time a business wants to set up shop in a liberal city like Seattle or Toledo, you know what? they? The city council people lick their chops and say, how can we get money out of these? How can we squeeze them? and get money out of them. And it just blows my mind that they don't understand the benefits from the human beings moving into your town. And Seattle's going to suffer for, suffer for well, this. that's right. It, it, what about the uh, cigarette tax and, and soft drink tax? You know, they want people to use less of it, so they they increase the tax. And sure enough, what do you have? You have less less consumption of it. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And I was talking about my favorite Seinfeld scene, uh, one of my favorite Seinfeld scenes, where Jerry's buying a car, and there's all these extra taxes and everything, and he says, what is this stuff? Surtax, additional overcharge? I mean, sometimes they're just making up these taxes. And you're like, what is this stuff anyway? I mean, Ohio did it a few years ago with the business commercial activity tax. We're just making up new words to figure out ways to tax businesses. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And hey, real quick, I saw this, and I thought it was interesting. What, what's the takeaway? Well, right now, only 37% of American adults under age 35 are invested in the market today. That's down from 55% in 02. Why? Here's my takeaway. They've been listening to liberal college professors how bad capitalism is, and it takes them a while to figure it out. Well, and what's ironic, really quick, but those people... They don't have pensions like their parents and grandparents. They their, need so, it. their Social Security is probably going to get cut at some point, uh, especially for the younger generation. Those people are going to have to save 20, 30, 50, 40, 50 percent more than their parents ever did, and they're not doing it. So pay attention to that. And if you have any questions about it throughout the week, call us at our office in Perrysburg, 419-872-0067. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.